1: to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm,
0: this is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. <laughs> church-meet cult that's famous for indoctrinating celebrities. Elizabeth Moss, John Travolta and most notably Tom Cruise. So what the hell do we know about Scientology and how does it have such a star-studded list of devotees? Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello.
1: Hi. How are we? We are really good and really ready for this three-part series on the Church of Celebrity, Scientology, Tom Cruise, his relationships. We are going to go everywhere. Mish, I want to start with why you are so interested in this story and why we wanted to do it as a series.
0: I think it's the story that has always evaded me slightly. Like I think I've picked up little tidbits about Scientology or about the career of Tom Cruise along my life. Life, but I don't think I've ever had like a meaty chunk at once. I feel like this almost happened just before we really came to be conscious of the celebrity news cycle. A lot of this was unfolding when we were children and by the time I got to being a teenager I felt like most of it passed me by.
1: Yeah I think my most prominent memory of Tom Cruise is in the context of his relationship to Katie Holmes. I felt much too young for the Tom Cruise Nicole Kidman marriage and Tom Cruise in general has definitely got this kind of huge star power took him to the level that I don't even really know who he is. Mm. Like he's the OG movie star that I don't really know how he came to be a Scientologist. I don't really understand sort of what's been going on in the background for many, many years to make him who he is.
0: I feel like as well the brightness of his stardom – kind of passes me by because I'm not really into action films either. Totally. So I know that he's one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid movie star of his era, but I haven't actually seen many Tom Cruise movies anyway. Have
1: you seen any Tom Cruise movies?
0: I actually don't know. I think it's the kind of actor where I've seen him on like television movies when they're playing something and I happen to have the TV on, like I'm watching a reality show, they run a movie with Tom Cruise in it. I've seen him in that sense. I have never sought out a Tom Cruise movie. What about
1: I've never sought one out. I have a feeling that I've seen like one.
0: Tom Cruise movie.
1: But here I am Googling as we record Tom Cruise It's war all Mission movie. Impossible. Was yeah. it a war movie that I watched?
0: I mean, you know what? I've seen a war movie with him. Yeah. Either.
1: Which one is it? It was,
0: I remember I was in high school and I sat down and it was about World War II. Yeah. You know what? We're going to have like <laughs> hundreds of people shouting at us
1: through Instagram DMs right now about what movie it is. But anyway, before we actually properly rewind, Mish, let's introduce Tom Cruise for those who haven't heard who he is. He is one of those rare movie stars, I think, as we mentioned, like maybe a Brad Pitt or a George Clooney whose stardom
0: has stayed really
1: strong over the years. Yeah,
0: over decades, I would say. The New York Times wrote in 2012 that Cruise is, and I quote, virtually alone in having risen to and held on to superstardom. Forbes reported in 2018 that his films, which include Mission Impossible and Top Gun, brought in $10 billion at the global box office, which makes him one of the highest grossing box office stars in history. Yeah, isn't
1: that insane? He has made more than 40 blockbuster films but i think what has existed in parallel to tom cruise's incredible film career is his relationship with Scientology and this sort of undercurrent that exists when we talk about Tom Cruise about his relationship with religion.
0: Yeah, absolutely, particularly when that religion has been accused of actually being a cult. I think this has a layer, this Scientology story has such a confusing, murky, twisted layer that we will try to muddle through over the next three episodes. All
1: right, let us rewind back to about the 1970s when Tom Cruise is just a kid.
0: All right, Zara. I want to take you to Tom Cruise's childhood. This was a really difficult time for Tom. He grew up in near poverty with what has been widely reported as quite an abusive father. His dad was an electrical engineer who struggled to actually hold down a job. The family moved around a lot while he looked for work. And in Tom Cruise's 12 years of schooling, he went to 15 different schools. Yeah, it does sound like he had a really difficult childhood. I mean,
1: he He told Parade magazine back in 2006 that his father was a bully and a coward. He also said that his father used to beat him. He said, He was the kind of person where if something goes wrong, they kick you. It was a great lesson in my life how he'd lull you in, make you feel safe, and then bang. For me, it was like, There is something wrong with this guy. Don't trust him. Be careful around him. There is that anxiety.
0: Tom's childhood was made difficult as well because he actually struggles with dyslexia. He was diagnosed when he was just seven. And this is a detail we'll be coming back to later in the episode because dyslexia and Scientology have an interesting intersection. Yeah, in the specific case of Tom
1: Cruise, for sure. I mean, when Tom was 12 years old, lucky for his family, his mother finally left his father, which was a real turning point. He has said he told Parade Magazine in the same interview, People can create their own lives. I saw how my mother created hers and so made it possible for us to survive. My mother was the one who rose to the occasion. She held three jobs. She said, we're going to get through this. And I decided that I'm going to create for myself who I am, not what other people say I should be. I am entitled to that. I really like that quote. I really like it too. I Don't get me wrong. I love it. It's just always really interesting listening to these quotes now in the context of the story we're about to tell
0: and the yes. person that he did choose to be. Yeah, before he chose to become an actor, actually, Zara, we need to talk about the fact that Tom Cruise had a fleeting affair with the Catholic Church. Is that a way to put it? The Catholic Church wouldn't appreciate (laughs) it. A fleeting affair with the Catholic Church.
1: Well, he actually did start studying to become a Catholic priest in 1976 and 1977. He was about 14 or 15 years old. He had been raised Catholic and had always been interested in spirituality. So as a teenager, he moved to a Catholic seminary and pursued joining the priesthood. Stood. After a year or so, though, he decided it wasn't for him.
0: I mean, there's being interested in spirituality or being religious, and then there's actually training to become a priest. I actually do get the sense that this story may be
1: a bit overblown when it's told in the context of Tom Cruise. Like, I think when people talk about Tom Cruise and Scientology, they're always like, "Well, he was very religious. He did want study to become a priest." Mm. I think it's important to note here that he was 14 or 15, and his old priests who taught him at this school said he wasn't really there to become a priest. He was there to get an education because there was an education there. Like he wasn't serious about the priesthood. It was just like an easy way to be educated, which I think is an interesting and important caveat in the priesthood Tom Cruise conversation.
0: Yeah, so some people also report that he was a little bit rebellious while training to be a priest as well. One classmate, Shane Dempler, actually says that he got kicked out for stealing alcohol and drinking. The quote was, the priest didn't even realise until some of the other boys found out about our plan and snuck into the woods and got drunk drunk, they were caught staggering down the road to the seminary and forced to confess. The school wrote a letter to our parents saying they liked us both, but would prefer if we didn't return, so we weren't kicked out, just preferred not to go. <laughs> Is there a more diplomatic
1: way of saying not kicked <laughs> out? We were just preferred not to go. Parade also reported that people who knew him back in high school described him as, and I quote, a slick haired greaser. Angry, muscular, intense, and obsessed with success. Not the most likable attributes. No, but dare I say you can kind of see it. Like the Tom Cruise that we know today, and not personally know, (laughs) but know of today. (laughs) Ye old mate Tom. To get to that level of stardom, I think that you have to have that level of intensity. You have to have that level of obsession with success. You kind of do need to be a bit of a greaser.
0: You have to be single-minded, right? You almost have to see this lofty, almost unachievable goal on the horizon and head towards that goal with your blinkers on.
1: Yes. So it was when he landed a role in a high school production of Guys and Dolls that Tom realised that he wanted to be an actor. He actually skipped his high school graduation in 1980 and went to Manhattan, giving himself a decade, apparently,
0: to make as an actor. decade's a long time. A decade's a long time. Not that he needed it, though, because within less than a year, he landed his first major role in the drama movie Taps. So his real breakout role came two years after that. In 1983, the movie Risky Business earned him his first nomination for the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. That is wild that you head out to New York with this total pipe dream and you just make it happen, like being that much of a hustler to have it happen within a few years is crazy.
1: That does blow my mind, absolutely, because to become as famous as he became in the length of time that he had is wild. He was 21 as well when Risky Business was released. Yeah that is so young. In 1986 so three years after that when he was 24 that's when Tom starred in Top Gun which was the highest grossing film of that year. So that's when he was like superstar Tom and he was 24 years old.
0: 24.
1: I kind of feel like the young star that we talk about now is like Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. And he seems young and still like a superstar but still kind of up and coming. But for Tom Cruise to be 24 and like the biggest movie star in the world
0: in the highest-grossing film of the world seems insane. Yeah, he was at the top of the world and in that very same year, 1986, that is reportedly when he decided to join the Church of Scientology.
1: All right, so let's talk about that. Who and how was Tom introduced to the church? There are conflicting reports about this.
0: Every Scandal episode includes conflicting reports. It's
1: like you never know who to trust. <laughs> in a 2012 Vanity Fair profile of Cruise and his relationship with Scientology, that story says that he joined the church in 1986 when he was 24 years old. But Parade Magazine, in that interview that we've referenced a few times already in this episode, reported that he joined in 1990, which was four years later.
0: Yeah, there does seem to be a general consensus that Tom in some way was introduced to the church through his first wife, Mimi Rogers. So, Mimi Rogers was a pretty big American actress at the time. She was already a Scientologist. She met and fell in love with Tom Cruise in 1987. He's definitely in the church by the year 1990. If you connect the dots and you're married to a Scientologist, surely that has something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Right? You're not, I'm not stretching. <laughs> no, not a stretch at
1: all. So you're right. They reportedly met through friends. Mimi Rogers was 31. He was 24. There was this incredible piece in Entertainment Weekly that we dug up from when the two got married and it read, On May 9, 1987, in a small upstate New York ceremony, 24-year-old Tom Cruise quietly exchanged nuptial vows with Mimi Rogers, an actress six years his senior. Present were the actor's mother, Mary Lee Mapatha, and best man, Emilio Estevez. Even Cruise's publicist was reportedly kept in the dark.
0: Very, very private for a very, very famous couple. Yeah, and I think if you want to
1: glean even more insight into how big Tom Cruise was this young, there was this line from the sun sentinel which said last spring mimi rogers crushed the hopes of women across the nation she tied the knot with tom cruise and turned hollywood's reigning young sex symbol into a married man reigning young sex symbol would we hear that now
0: i don't know Probably. it's, to a, be bit, honest. it's a bit interesting so this didn't last they did marry in 1987 but by the year 1990 it was all over In what was epically strange timing, so Tom Cruise gave this like gushing interview to Rolling Stone in the year 1990, where he gave a quote that said he couldn't imagine being without Mimi Rogers, his wife. Since I've been with her, it's opened me up a lot, he told Rolling Stone. I think it's helped me be a better actor. We live a lot of life together. We share everything. That's the best thing about life. Otherwise, you go through it pretty sad and lonely and angry. I care about my wife more than anything in the world. She's my best friend. I just really like being with her, you know. I love her. Within a few days, they had announced that they were getting a divorce. I, I don't know <laughs> what to make of it.
1: I mean, I feel like we say this a bit now, is that like celebrities sort of leading us down a garden path until like the day before they announced their split. I mean, never forget Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt kissing on that beach.
0: But it's like that line, I just really like being with her, you know? It's like, do you know, Tom, you're literally getting a divorce? But maybe maybe he
1: is actually not saying that they're going to be together forever. Maybe he is actually saying that they're just really good friends who he wants to have in his life forever.
0: Maybe. I mean, it wasn't to be they did not stay friends after the divorce, but we'll get to that soon. Well,
1: exactly. <laughs> we can get to it now if we really want to. Because in 1993, Mimi Rogers gave this interview with Playboy magazine. So this was three years after they split. And she was asked if she was the one who ended the marriage. She said, Is that the story, that I was bored with that child and threw him over, chewed him up and spat him out? Well, here's the real story. Tom was seriously thinking of becoming a monk. At least for that period of time, it looked as though marriage wouldn't fit into his overall spiritual need and he thought he had to be celibate to maintain that purity of his instrument. She added, My instrument needed tuning. (laughs) I mean, like, pretty appropriate quotes to give Playboy, I must say.
0: Interesting way of putting it. According to Andrew Morton's unauthorised Tom Cruise biography, Tom was the one to file for divorce. The divorce filing went through on December 9, 1989 – Two days later, he began filming Days of Thunder, which starred his future wife, Nicole Kidman. I didn't know that
1: there was that really quick kind of uh, succession. I'm not going to say overlap. I'll say succession.
0: Well, I mean, I'm not going to say overlap either, but it's not as if they would have met two days after the divorce filing. They met during the audition process. So when he divorced Mimi Rogers, he definitely knew, at least in a professional capacity, Nicole Kidman.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's also interesting now because Mimi Rogers actually describes herself as a former member of the church. So she's not part of the church anymore. As we know, Tom very much is part of the church. We will get to Nicole Kidman soon, but I think before we get to Nicole Kidman, we need to talk a little bit about Scientology because what the hell even is it?
0: Such a good question. What is Scientology? Scientology was started back in the 1950s by science fiction writer L. Ron Hubbard. Now, to say this man... Was an avid writer, a prolific writer would be, to put it lightly, <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard holds the world record for the most number of books published by one author. He has written more than 1,000 books. How is that even possible? Are they just little like... <laughs> Newsletters? I was going
1: to say they're little poems. <laughs> like but they're little booklets. Yeah, yeah, they must be little booklets. I mean, reports are that he's written over 1,000 books, take that what you will. Before we do properly get into the details of Scientology, and we won't spend forever on it, they can be a bit dense, but it's super important, I think, to the context of celebrities joining this religion, what the hell the religion even is. Mm. So L. Ron Hubbard, as we said, who started Scientology, didn't actually have any clear qualifications. He initially served in the army in the early 1940s. He was ultimately pushed out of that career because a report found he was lacking, and I quote in the essential qualities of judgment, leadership and cooperation. It was recommended that he be moved onto duty on a large vessel where he can be properly supervised. Yeah, so
0: not very successful in the army. Basically to sum up his career in a sentence, it was that he lacked the fortitude and the leadership skills to actually act independently in the army. He needed to have people around him monitoring him. And if you go read the LA Times, there is a fascinating breakdown of his time in the army and how many people actually didn't trust him and thought that he was potentially losing his way a little bit mentally.
1: We will put that link, that LA Times piece in the show notes, because that was a really interesting read for sure. I think an important thing to note about Scientology is that it didn't actually start as a religion it began looking a lot more like self help philosophy a version of psychology mixed with maybe some sci-fi themes like mm. it's why parts of the religion itself don't sound very religious.
0: Yeah, a lot of it sounds like self-help, but then you have Scientology actually claiming that L. Ron Hubbard is known because he's the first person to scientifically isolate, measure, and describe the human spirit. So that's where it's kind of like the intersection between sci-fi and woo-woo. I don't know what other word to use for it. It's a bit airy, a bit woo-woo, and a bit futuristic at the same time. Very futuristic.
1: So Scientology actually began as this book called Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health, and it was published in 1950. As of 2013, New Era
0: Publications, the International Publishing Company of Hubbard's Works, sells the book still in 50 languages. Yeah, when I walk around the city in Melbourne, you sometimes see people at a table with a chair, trying to push this book to passersby. Have you you seen that? Yeah. If you walk near Crown Melbourne, people will come to me. I already know it. When I was on a weekend getaway at Crown Melbourne this Easter, someone tried to pull me over to audit me and sell me a Dianetics book. Wow. Okay. So (laughs) when it comes to Scientology, the theory is that traumatic things happen to
1: people. And if you could just observe that that happened, the power of that traumatic event over you would disappear and you would become clear. Now, clear is a key word when it comes to Scientology.
0: Clear is something that you guys are going to hear a lot coming up. The definition of clear is being associated with having a perfectly functioning mind with improved IQ and photographic memory. Right. So when this book was sold,
1: it went pretty well. I mean, I guess it had to be to end up creating the legs of a religion, but famously it received massive pushback from the medical and psychiatric community with Scientific American saying the book contained more promises and less evidence per page than any publication since the invention (laughs) of printing whack. Can you imagine if your book was described like that? Our book? More promises and less evidence per page than any publication since the invention of printing.
0: So it's fair to say that the medical community and the scientific community did not back it, which prompted L. Ron Hubbard in 1954 to convert the book into a religion rather than like a medical psychological Bible. Exactly. So when Scientology was created, they laid out like this clear
1: step-by-step pathway to going clear called the Bridge of Total Freedom. So so if you're part of Scientology, you have to complete each step. But to complete each step, members had to purchase books, courses, and do this controversial practice called auditing. Before we get to auditing, looking at that sort of step-by-step process, you can see that suddenly Scientology had a pretty good business plan because it had a pretty good income
0: stream from all of these different levels of the religion. Yeah. Well, going through this step-by-step course is very expensive. Every new step requires that you spend money. You donate money to the church in order to get clear. Now, auditing. What is it? Why do people want to do it? There are often signs outside of the Church of Scientology that invite people in to come for a free auditing session. If you have ever been curious about what that actually involves, Basically, you are hooked up to a device that they call an e-meter. Often this includes you holding on to two cans or two like metal rods And supposedly that e-meter is used to measure your spiritual state. So while you're hooked up to the machine, an auditor talks to you about your life, you take them through your most traumatic memories, and the goal is to unblock them. So the e-meter runs a current, again, I'm putting a lot of these words in inverted commas, through your body when it encounters a traumatic memory or blockage. You work through that by talking to the auditor about it. You let it go. You observe it. You get more clear. Here's where things get a little bit
1: quirky or maybe a bit more quirky. (laughs) Scientology does believe that we actually live multiple lives and people are encouraged during auditing to reflect on the traumatic memories they may be holding onto from previous lives.
0: So if I was doing an e-meter audit, I would sit there and try and figure out not what's just happened to me since I was a child but what happened to me in In my previous existences. So in order to rise through the ranks of the
1: church, as we said, members are expected to do these courses, they're expected to pay for sessions and eventually become what they call operating thetans, which is a Scientology term for basically having Godlike control over yourself and the world around you. So members believe that if they get to the highest level, the highest operating level, they can actually achieve something called exteriorization. I think, mm. Mish, which means, and I know it sounds a bit dense, but it means that they have the ability to operate outside of their own bodies. One example of this might be that some Scientologists believe that if you climb the ranks high enough, you will be able to move objects just with the power of your own mind.
0: The sci-fi theme's coming right back in here.
1: Yeah, it maybe gets a bit more sci-fi-y the longer we go on.
0: I can tell you it's going to get a lot more sugary and a lot more celebrity the more we go on because after the break let's explore how the hell a quirky religion meets movement like Scientology gets their hands on someone like Tom Cruise. But first let's hear from our sponsor. All
1: right Mish so we've discussed what the basics of Scientology entail but We want to know exactly how a church like this gets someone like Tom Cruise. And it's not just Tom Cruise we need to talk about here. There are really big celebrities who are still part of the church. These include John Travolta, Elizabeth Moss, Kirsty Alley from Cheers, Laura Prepon from That 70s Show and Orange is the New Black, Nancy Cartwright, who's the voice of Bart on The Simpsons. Yeah,
0: lots of really high-profile people. The one that has always gotten me, I don't know about you, I've known about John Travolta, I've known about Tom Cruise. When I found out a few years ago that Elizabeth Moss was a Scientologist... It shook me a little bit. Like, I was just really, really surprised. But she's been a Scientologist forever.
1: Like, her parents were Scientologists. I think what's really important to note when it comes to celebrities and Scientology is that this didn't happen by accident. They just didn't accidentally find these celebrities who were public Scientologists From the very beginning, Scientology made a concerted effort to recruit celebrities.
0: Yeah, so over the last few years, pages from an internal 1955 Scientology newsletter have circulated right across the internet and they have been held up as proof that the church instantly, basically from its inception, noted that celebrities were the way forward and the way to spread the word of Dianetics, L. Ron Hubbard, and Scientology.
1: Yeah, the newsletter called this plan Project Celebrity. I mean, about as blatant and as clear as it can be. (laughs) Don't
0: be subtle about it, guys. Not at all.
1: The (laughs) newsletter read, There are many to whom America and the world listens. On the backs of these are carried most of the enthusiasms on which the society runs. It is obvious what would happen to America if we helped its leaders to help others. Project Celebrity is part of that program. It is obvious what would happen to Scientology if prime communicators benefiting from it would mention (laughs) it now and then.
0: Does it remind you like if this was 2021, this is like the church of Scientology observing that Instagram influencers have great holds and that they should do like an Instagram blast campaign?
1: Absolutely, it feels like a really old celebrity marketing campaign. The newsletter did go on to list a bunch of celebrities that they wanted to kind of get involved, including Orson Welles, Ernest Hemingway and Walt Disney. It kind of let members know that they could be allocated one of these celebrities to, and I put this in quotes, hunt. They could try and hunt them down and bring them in for an auditing session.
0: So like if I had access in an Australian context to like Hugh Jackman, as a churchgoer, I could be like, My dibs is on Hugh, Hugh is mine for a bit, let me hunt him and if I fail getting Hugh to the church, someone else can have a crack. And bring them in for an ordaining session. (laughs) It's so weird. Yeah, it didn't actually work on Ernest Hemingway or Walt Disney. Some of the first prominent names to associate themselves with the Church of Scientology were silent screen star Gloria Swanson and jazz pianist Dave Brubeck. A Scientology policy letter of 1976 states that the, and I quote, rehabilitation of celebrities who are just beyond or just approaching their prime enables the, quote, rapid dissemination of Scientology. I find that so interesting. Why are they going for people who are kind of past it? Like, why are they intentionally targeting people who are no longer at the top of their game? Is it a vulnerability thing? Or just approaching their prime. It must be.
1: It absolutely must be. I mean, this intense desire to align Scientology with celebrity culture, absolutely lives on today. A Scientology-affiliated magazine is literally called Celebrity (laughs) and has featured its most prominent stars on its cover, like issue 424, for example, published in 2015, had Laura Prepon on the cover and included headlines like Scientologists in Action, The Aesthetic Mind by L. Ron Hubbard, and Abilities Restored on the Way to Clear.
0: You know what? For a podcast named Shameless, Good on Scientology for being so utterly fucking shameless to have a magazine about Scientology with the title Celebrity. I actually have to agree with you there. I mean, and it's not just the magazine. It's not just the Project Celebrity
1: that was dug up from the 1950s. The church has a celebrity center in LA.
0: Yeah, this is the heartland of where Scientology and celebrity intersect. So the church's real headquarters are actually in Florida, but from a PR perspective, most people know Scientology for the building that we see in North Hollywood. So it's on Franklin Avenue. It was once called, and apologies for my butchered French, Chateau Elysee? lSA Elysee. Elysee. It is a residential... <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) I'm so sorry. Why are there so many French words coming up on our podcast at the moment? (laughs) It was a residential hotel for movie stars. It's a four-story, 77-unit turreted castle with a bubbling stream, a tennis court, and tall 100-year-old trees. But since the year 1973, it's been owned by the Church of Scientology and well-renowned as its Celebrity Centre.
1: Yeah, so the Celebrity Centre hosts Scientology courses and for those auditing sessions that we talked about earlier – it also, though, provides 39 luxury hotel rooms to accommodate celebrities while they undertake those courses.
0: Yeah, what probably got a lot of celebrities through the door of the Celebrity Centre was very, very clever marketing. Smart. Again, They're bloody clever cookies when it comes yeah. to marketing. I'll give them that. The church actually ran seminars that they called Success in the Industry. They offered these seminars to Hollywood hopefuls and it was Everything from breaking into commercials to how to get cast in the pilot season and a Hollywood acting class. So no wonder these budding actors and actresses saw these free seminars and went, yeah, I want to get ahead, so I'm going to go to this church.
1: Yeah, and they were promoted via flyers posted at auditions all around town. I mean, a former actor told the New Yorker, that it was just a massive indoctrination presentation with a panel of celebrities talking about how everyone in the audience could realise their dreams if they took Scientology courses and got clear.
0: Yeah, so whether or not these courses were actually useful or not, being part of the Celebrity Centre wasn't just an opportunity to connect spiritually. It was an opportunity to connect professionally. Like this was Networking 101 where you could go and you could meet young aspiring writers, you could meet directors and actors and you could all mingle and then all support each other as you worked your way up.
1: Yeah, so these celebrity members in turn would try to use their platform and position to help get more people into the church, especially young aspiring actors who they wanted to turn into the stars to therefore do the same thing. It was like this incredible self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: Yeah. And if you're someone who's reading celebrity tabloids or you are walking past the celebrity center of the Church of Scientology and you're curious, they also have methods in place to get the average person in Too. It's open to the public. If you want to go and dine in the Church of Scientology's very fancy restaurant in LA, anyone can go in, anyone can check it out. So you're not just going to get the people who are going for a giggle and a laugh and an experience. You're going to get the people who are a tiny bit curious as to what the Scientology thing is all about. I'd go to that restaurant, though, Oh my, just if out we of curiosity. Ever go, if we ever go to LA together, we are going to the Church of Scientology's restaurant. I want to just try it out. I mean, the Celebrity Centre has been
1: so successful that now the Church of Scientology owns a heap of property throughout Hollywood. I mean, according to The Hollywood Reporter, The church owns, by most accounts, more historic buildings in Hollywood than any other entity and is one of the community's biggest property
0: owners. Yeah, it owns 26 properties in Hollywood, including seven historic buildings worth $300 million. And this is where it's interesting that Scientology is not a business. It's not a mental wellness workspace. It's a religion, which means it gets tax cuts, which means... Through all this money it makes through all of its devotees, it doesn't really have many outgoings at all.
1: No, and so now the church has expanded its number of celebrity centres across the world with more of them opening up in places like Florence, Paris and New York. Before we get back to Tom Cruise, because he is the central player across these three episodes, I want to have a brief interlude on how Scientology did get some other celebrities because I think John Travolta is another one that I am endlessly intrigued about.
0: Yeah, so John Travolta has been a practitioner of Scientology since 1975. Apparently he was given the book Dianetic's while filming a film called The Devil's Reign in Mexico, another actress handed it to him. Now, his most interesting quotes about the religion were given to actually Good Morning America in 2015, <laughs> which feels quite random, where he said that he believes Scientology is attacked because it actually works so well. Now here's the direct quote. For 40 years for me, I've been a part of the church and I've loved every minute of it. My family has done so well with it. It's been a beautiful thing for me. I've saved lives with it and saved my own life several times. Through my loss of my son, it helped me every step of the way for two years solid and here I am. Yeah, so we have that
1: quote on the record from 2015, but what's really important and interesting in the story of John Travolta is it's really hard to know what his relationship with Scientology is these mm. days. I mean, rumours that his distance himself from the religion have been pervasive over the last few years. According to The Blast in 2020, when his wife Kelly Preston very tragically died of cancer the actor, despite being a pretty devoted member of the church for 45 years, gave a statement that very much deviated away from deep-seated Scientology principles.
0: Yeah, one such principle is basically a rejection of modern medicine and science. L. Ron Hubbard was famously opposed to both chemotherapy and radiation, along with psychiatry and some other medical principles. But John Travolta's statement read like this, My family and I will be forever grateful to her doctors and nurses at MD Anderson Cancer Center, all the medical centers that have helped. Now, if you're a devout Scientologist... You aren't saying that publicly because you don't believe in cancer centres. You don't believe in treating cancer with Western medicine.
1: Yeah, and so then it makes you wonder, all right, well, if we haven't heard from John Travolta that he's leaving, is that even the case? Like wouldn't he tell us if he was a former member of the church? And I think one thing that's important to note here is that it might be hard for some celebrities to leave the church. I mean it comes back to that auditing process that we talked about before. Think about it like this. You're audited. You are with members of the church. Often these auditing sessions are filmed, especially for the big celebrities. And you are telling them your deepest, darkest secrets, your traumas, everything in order to get clear. What if you were saying things that you didn't want? to be public. And what, and what if they could hold them against you?
0: We don't know that that is something that they have done or will do, but surely it's a possibility. And that theory does seem to align with why some other people have left the church under great duress or have left the church in very subtle, quiet ways, because they have said that is a concern for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, when it comes to Elizabeth Moss, who you touched on before about being surprised that she was a Scientologist, she got involved in the church when she was born. So she's been, a Scientologist forever. She has been notoriously private about it, though, forever. I mean, she told the Daily Beast, I think people should be allowed to talk about what they want to talk about and believe what they want to believe, and you can't take that away. And when you start to take that away, when you start to say, you can't think that, you can't believe that, you can't say that, then you get into trouble.
0: I mean, I agree with her.
1: I, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, she's not wrong.
0: Yeah, she's absolutely right. Laura Prepon, who you guys might not recognize the name of, but you will certainly recognize the face. She starred in that 70s show as well as Orange is the New Black. She joined the church a little later in life. She joined in 1999 and is so much more candid and open about her love of her religious beliefs and of Scientology. She actually described the religion as magic in that celebrity magazine profile that we referenced earlier. Well also pop the link to that in the show notes because there were some interesting insights shared in that piece. Yeah, totally. So then we get to Tom Cruise, right? And we mentioned before that Tom Cruise was very
1: likely introduced to the church from Mimi Rogers. In the same year that Tom Cruise reportedly joined the church, 1986, L. Ron Hubbard actually died and the church was headed up by a young, ambitious Scientologist by the name of David Miscavige. He, David Miscavige, is going to play a huge role in Tom Cruise's relationship with the church.
0: Yeah, well, David Miscavige apparently had his eyes set on Tom Cruise as soon as he took over the church. So, this was according to a Pulitzer Prize winning author, Lawrence Wright, who wrote a book called Going Clear Looking into the Church of Scientology. And he asserted that Miscavige saw Tom Cruise as like a future face for the church, the perfect PR branding strategy for the church to. Expand globally.
1: Yeah, and Wright also wrote that Miss Garvage and Cruz were pretty eerily similar. Like they were only two years apart in age. They were both, and he wrote, short but powerfully built East Coast personalities who shared a love of motorcycles, cars, extreme sports. They were both grappling with pretty similar meteoric rises to success. Cruz had just become the biggest star in Hollywood, and around the same time, Miss Garvage had risen to the highest position in Scientology. Each of these men assumed extraordinary. Ordinary responsibilities when their peers were barely beginning their careers. So it was
0: natural that they would see themselves mirrored in each other. So by 1992, Tom Cruise became the religion's most famous member. He actually did a pretty famous interview with journalist Barbara Walters. This is on YouTube if you guys want to find it. And he spoke endlessly about Scientology and just how brilliantly the religion had impacted his day-to-day life. Here's a clip of him claiming that his religious beliefs helped him overcome his dyslexia. L. Ron Hubbard has a technology. L. Ron Hubbard was the founder of the Church of Scientology. Scientology. You are a member of the Church of Scientology. There's a study technology that he developed and I took the course on it and it really basically teaches someone how to study And I took this course and I've now, and I apply that technology, you know, when I study and when I read and when I work on things and it's actually, I realize that I'm not dyslexic. Hmm. And it was actually, uh, you know, it actually has changed my life in that regard because I am now able to study and learn at such a, a rapid high rate and my comprehension is absolutely incredible. Pretty out there stuff
1: pretty out there stuff. Yeah. And funnily enough, the PR push to make Tom Cruise the the public face of Scientology very much coincided with him falling in love with Australian actress Nicole Kidman.
0: Yeah. Before we go on, we probably need to give some context as to how Nicole Kidman became famous, where she was in her life at the time that she met Tom Cruise, because I feel like Nicole Kidman is someone that our mothers are obsessed with and I've always had affection for, but never really known much about, despite her being one of the the biggest Australian exports.
1: I think what's really lovely about Nicole Kidman's career is I feel like I'm starting to really have a more of a love affair with her as a celebrity now because she has such incredible roles Mm. that I'm watching. But at this point in time, I was too young. And you're right, like it was definitely the kind of person that mum really adored too.
0: Mm. So she grew up in an upper middle class suburb in Sydney with her sister, her mother and her father. Her mum was a nurse. Her father was a psychologist. Again, important info that we will touch on later in the story. She, like Tom Cruise, was also raised Catholic. She has said that her family were a progressive family but they were living in a conservative neighbourhood. So she started performing at Sydney's Phillips Street
1: Theatre And she went on to star in like a number of Australian teen movies. But her career really, really took off when she was cast in the 1986 Australian TV miniseries Vietnam, where she played this anti-war, anti-establishment student. Out of that, she was cast in the 1988 smash thriller Dead Calm. And little did she know that it would be that film that would catch the eye of a very big celebrity at the time, Tom Cruise.
0: So this takes us up to 1989. And after seeing Nicole in Dead Calm, Tom Cruise was infatuated. He thought she was very, very talented, very beautiful, and he decided she would be the perfect co-star for a film that he was about to start working on called Days of Thunder. He was set to play a NASCAR racer and she was the love interest. Yeah.
1: In the years since, Nicole has talked a little bit about what it was like first meeting Tom during the audition process. She told the Jess Cable interview, I remember being so nervous and seeing Tom Cruise drive up in a Porsche. He got out of the car and walked through the door and I was like, ah, my jaw dropped. Then I had to go in and audition. I was like, no way, I'm not going to do this. They called that afternoon and I had the job.
0: This was very much a story of love at first sight because in 2002, she also told Vanity Fair he basically swept me off my feet. I fell madly, passionately in love. And as happens when you fall in love, my whole plan, in terms of what I wanted for my life, I was like, forget it. This is it. I was consumed by it willingly. And I was desperate to have a baby with him. I didn't care if we were married. Very candid from Nicole. She also talked
1: again about that moment with Tom first meeting him in an interview with the BBC. She said, I walked into the audition and Tom was the one that stood up and shook my hand and I just remember electricity going through me.
0: He's incredibly, incredibly charismatic. Like it would be such a miss from both you and I if we did this series and didn't touch upon the fact that Tom Cruise is the definition of enigmatic. 100%.
1: 100%. I actually remember listening to an episode of Hamish and Andy's Remembering Project, which is like this incredible podcast they do going back into the archives of their own radio show. And they told this hilarious story about Tom Cruise. And they said that Andy actually met Tom Cruise first at a press junket in Korea and Hamish couldn't go at the time. I know. (laughs) Hamish couldn't go at the time because he was at a wedding so Andy took his friend Hawks (laughs) and when Tom came on the show, I think years later over the phone, the first thing he said straight up to Andy is, how's Hawks? I know. (laughs) And so then Hamish and Andy were having this conversation about how when you interview Tom Cruise, his charisma is so electric and his interest in you is so electric it's almost like almost creepy, but not. Like there was another example they gave about when Andy was actually in Korea and Tom goes, now you recently <laughs> completed the Lawn Pier to Pub, and, which is like a swim in Victoria, <laughs> but it's not even known outside of Victoria, you know, like really bizarre stuff. And then Hamish made the point that Tom Cruise asks these questions to charm, absolutely, but also to kind of destabilise the interviewer a bit. So perhaps the interviewer is less inclined to go nuts and like shoot from the hip with really hard questions because you're just like completely charmed by this guy. Yeah,
0: almost like bedazzled and a little bit confused. It sounds like he, because obviously every interviewer goes into an interview having researched, you would hope, the person they're interviewing. It is very, very rare that the interviewee would conduct their own research on the interviewer. And it sounds like Tom Cruise does that to the nth degree.
1: Apparently he's quite well known for it and it would be incredibly destabilising. Like let's say we had an interview with Tom Cruise and he goes to you, how's Mitch? The engagement (laughs) ring looked beautiful, right? You're like, oh, my God, this guy knows me. He likes me. He cares about me. He cares about me. I don't want to put him off. I don't want to change that dynamic.
0: Is Tom Cruise auditing everyone he meets just subtly? It sounds like he's trying to find information on people and not negative information, but information that gets him somewhere that he wants to go. It's the kind
1: of thing where it's like you don't actually need to go to that much effort to be lovely. Like Tom Cruise could just as easily turn around and be like to Hamish Nanny,
0: how are you? I hear you're Australian. Like, do you know what I mean? Or you're from Melbourne. What's Melbourne like? Yeah. I love Melbourne. Here's my favorite melbourneian thing. That's all you need to
1: do to be charming. But to say how's the lawn peter pub is like next level. It's a
0: little bit creepy. It's, it's interesting. It's a bit like I'm stalking your MySpace profile from 2008. So you can imagine when someone
1: like Nicole Kidman, who was 22, I think, when she met Tom Cruise, you'd be absolutely overwhelmed by the star power, by the charm, by, by the, the electricity. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Saying same, same thing,
0: same time. Maybe I'm auditing you. In yeah. The background. So the love affair was strong. It was romantic and it was very, very short by... December 27, 1990, news was leaked that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman were married. They knew each other for a year. They got married within the year of knowing each other.
1: Yeah. And as you remember, I think from this timeline, Tom actually only filed for divorce from Mimi Rogers at the end of 1989. So it was a quick year. There was a line from the Associated Press announcing their wedding that read, actor Tom Cruise married his Days of Thunder co-star Nicole Kidman during a private Christmas Eve ceremony at a Colorado ski resort he's public Said Wednesday. The 30 minute civil ceremony was witnessed by a handful of family members, said Cruz's publicist Andrea Jaff. It was the first marriage for the Australian actress and the second for Cruz, whose nearly three year marriage to actress Mimi Rogers ended January
0: in divorce.
1: The couple surfaced in Colorado on Christmas Eve with other family members. Their honeymoon plans weren't disclosed. Once
0: again, an incredibly private wedding. Small. This is a man who's so, so famous, and yet his two marriages have been conducted. In almost top secret. Like they barely had anyone at the wedding between them, despite Nicole being a budding star and Tom Cruise being the biggest star in Hollywood. Yeah, bang on.
1: And I think at this point, genuinely it felt like their relationship was really intense and quite dreamy, I would say. Like I do really think these two were together for quite a long time and it did feel like they had quite a strong Bond, by all reports, the first few years of marriage were pretty wonderful.
0: Yeah, and if you actually watch interviews for them doing the press junket for Days of Thunder, they do this like cute thing. They're poor director. So a lot of yeah. the times they're sitting on this couch, there's Nicole on one end, Tom on the other end, and there's the director in the middle of them. But they do this thing where they like reach across the couch to each other and hold hands or like touch each other. Oh my God. Why wouldn't they just put the director on the end of the couch <laughs> rather than in the middle? I mean, maybe because they would start like snogging halfway through this. <laughs> snogging you, I reckon. <laughs> (laughs) That's
1: a terrible word. So that's the thing. They were really happy reportedly for the first few years of that relationship. Only there was someone who reportedly had issues with the union, someone that you may well call the other love of Tom Cruise's life. And that was the head of... The Church of Scientology's David Miscavige. Yes,
0: and he would go to extreme lengths to try to break Nicole and Tom up. But that, Zara, is what we are going to touch on in episode two. Yeah, look, let's just
1: say that some of the allegations on the table in this next episode include wiretapping and private investigators' mish. Psychological manipulation, again, all allegations. All stuff that former members of the Church have alleged, but we will tell the story next week.
0: We will. As for now, Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Thank you to our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley, who helped us research this episode. I cannot wait for episode two. If you are intrigued and you want to listen along, make sure you're subscribed on Apple. Make sure you're following on Spotify and make sure you're following us on Instagram. We put galleries up with every episode. And my God, this is a throwback gallery for the ages. Yeah, you are so right.
1: Guys, thank you so much. We will be back in your ears on Thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture.
0: Bye.